That was a good show, man. That was good. Good job on that. Thanks for putting that together. That was, I, this week I've just been more scattered. So I appreciate you lining up the content for this one. This was interesting stuff too. Yeah, no problem. I, uh, like I said, I was kind of sitting around the other night and I don't know what, I literally have no fucking clue what brought up the whole, uh, storytelling bullshit, but I was like, man, I need to become better at that. Yeah, it's good. It's good uh, timing because I was having the same conversation. I'm glad you brought it up because I, I was thinking myself just the other day about that when I was walking back from one of my Starbucks runs. I don't know if we got anything for a post show on this particular episode. We don't have a bully here to, to out himself on a whole bunch of different subjects. No, we don't. Uh, I'm I'm a little distracted because I keep getting blown up over here, so I, I kind of might need to go check and see what the fuck's going on. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. going on dude oh buddy it's been a day it's been a good day you've been doing some con- configuration i it looks like to me let's just say the xps 13 is uh locked and loaded ready for some app development sweet yeah that's pretty cool you got the uh hackintosh going on on there how was that how was that to set up dude it was way too easy like some guy posted an article last September that had like 500 comments attached to it so I figured it was legit enough because a lot of people tried it out and essentially it was going to he had all the links set up he went to his Google Drive account and downloaded OS X <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so I'm running I'm rocking High Sierra OS X 3 um, is it ten three or ten thirteen? Ten thirteen, right? Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, ten thirteen. So it's the latest release of OS ten, and I'm, I'm running that on a VM. It's kind of kind of a virtual box setup, so it's running on Windows. So you have Windows in the background there. That's just a full screen VM you were showing there. Yeah, yeah. I'll need to tweak the performance and all that kind of crap because right now it's not. Certainly not zippy, even though I'm rocking a new i8, i7, 8th gen i7, and 16 gig of RAM, 512 hard drive. I, I gave it, I only gave it two out of the four cores, and I gave it four gigs of RAM, so maybe if I play with that a little bit, it'll get better. Yeah, I'm sure you probably need, I mean, two cores anymore is jack shit, so. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. if I give it all four, I think that laptop is a four core. I gotta check. I, yeah, that new processor is a four core. So if I, because I think the i7, the seventh gen was only a dual core. Oh, okay, got it. So if I give it all four, I think it's going to lock up the machine, but I'll try it out and see what happens. Sure. Sweet. Yeah, it looks nice. It looks nice. I was getting Xcode installed. That's why I was a little late getting in here. But yeah, that's a, that's a beast. Huge. Yeah, five and a half gigs. <laughs> Well, OS X Sierra was six gigs, and I downloaded that in about five minutes. It was fast. Woo! Yeah, that high-speed internet's coming into good use today. <laughs> cool, man. How's your stuff going? It's good. I don't have anything as uh, sexy as that, but I uh, put up a pretty fancy foam background here. I love that. That looks awesome, man. Those are the tiles that you got online. I did, yeah, and then I... I didn't want it to be a permanent structure, so I put it on, I use a little like uh, industrial glue and I put it on a piece of cardboard so I can put it up and take it down anytime I, anytime I want it. You sound great. Do you feel a difference sitting down over there? Uh, I was testing before you came around and it, it, I think it, I think it did eliminate some of the background echoiness that was going on. So yeah, I think it's a lot better. Yeah. I don't hear any of the echo at all right now. It's, it just falls flat. Sweet. That's exactly what I was hoping for. Yeah, I think it's doing a good job. If that works out for you, I might need to do a similar thing. 
You already got the big pipes, man. You're good. <laughs> well, that's what she said. Ho! Hey. Mm. Are we talking about something today? Do we have a show? I mean, I just figured we'd bullshit for a few hours. No problem. We can do that all the time. Finally had a listen of the last episode. Numero 10. Episode X. Episode X. The X episode. It was good. X Factor. It was good. I liked having Bully on there. He brought a good dynamic to the show, I thought. Yeah, there was quite a bit of depth there that I don't, you know, I think we kind of kind of glaze over the top of subjects a lot of times. I mean, sometimes we go into depth, but I think he brings another insightfulness to the show that we maybe we don't we don't deep dive quite as much as he does. So He's very thorough, and that's why I wanted him on there for that purpose. Yeah, exactly. I think, and I think he did exactly what we had hoped. Um, if he wants to continue to come on, that'd be cool. He, we should probably work on his sound quality. Maybe get him a little foam. Maybe get him a little acoustic panel action. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, then he'd be all set. He did bitch to me about uh, how many times he said "like" in one segment. Well, that's just going to happen. <laughs> that's what rookie. I told him. <laughs> it's gonna take, when you're a rookie, yeah. it's going to take a few reps to get that out of the system. Yep. Yeah, speaking of his thoroughness, you know, I give him credit for going so deep. I didn't ask him to tell me about coming out straight, though. Took it a little too far, I think. But <laughs> I mean, that added a nice comedic element to an otherwise pretty thorough show, so I think it was good. <laughs> it was good to have him on. I did get some feedback from my sister who has mentioned that she's listened to every episode thus far, and I mentioned to her that in the upcoming episode, I might be mentioning my grandmother and maybe a little bit about something that she didn't know she clicked on or liked on Facebook, and she thought that was pretty damn entertaining. Oh, good. Is grandma listening on her iPad then? Do we find that out? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that, but uh, I think I think my sister thought it was going to be a little bit more uh, a little bit more racy than even that. So, Oh, my goodness. Well, that sounds like a fun future episode. <laughs> The first topic that I wanted to talk about kind of came up yesterday for me. I was sitting on the couch, and I don't really know what brought it to my attention, but I got to thinking to myself that I'm really not a very good storyteller. And what I mean by that is I feel like I drift, or sometimes I talk too fast, or I'm not patient enough to kind of leave dead air silence, which I think sometimes is necessary. I don't know. I'm just not a very good storyteller, and I'd like to become better at that. And I think that's a goal of mine in addition to becoming just a better speaker overall. Well, amen. I feel the same way. And that's something that Gary V talks about, actually, a few times, not all the time. But that's one of the key elements that he talks about is you have to be a good storyteller. And I agree. I could be a much better storyteller. I, I have moments where I can, I have little anecdotes here and there, but I, I think that in my estimation, I'm not as good as I would like to be and that I, I have a long way to go. I, I have a lot to build on. I always think back to my grandfather who, whenever he would start to say something, you could kind of tell that he was getting into one of these story modes and he would start to rattle on and and move along in such a it was almost like a particular vibe that he gave off i'm i'm not really even sure how to describe but when he would do that it was crazy because regardless like if you had eight people around a circle or something and everybody was talking amongst themselves and he was talking to one other person and telling this this story everybody would eventually just come around and start to be enveloped in his story and everybody else would shut up and i don't know what causes that if that's just being a great storyteller or if that's his aura or his like um I don't even know what the word I'm looking for here is like if that's just his like, like charisma maybe yeah exactly yeah I think part of it is that there are probably multiple elements to go into it but my dad was a good storyteller and he had that charisma the same kind of quality you're talking about with your grandfather where you could just get a room to shut up and listen and I don't know. I tried taking some notes. I tried taking some paying attention to that. And there there are multiple qualities. And I don't, I don't know what all of them are, but 
I was thinking about that the other day. Even just like the way he describes it. It's not even it's not even like factual. You're not trying to describe a fact, but it's it's just how it kind of weaves. Like there's a flow, there's a certain flow to it that isn't just like recanting something, but drawing some suspense. People are wondering, oh, what's going on next? What's happening? You know, there's there's gotta be some common elements that go into storytelling. Part of it for sure is age. You know, he's had a lot of years to put fine polish on those stories and and figure out what works and what doesn't. And I think that's a good, a huge part of it. But I think to your point, I think another part of it is charisma. And I think another part is just knowing, I think there's a part like knowing that the person is a good storyteller to begin with. And once you kind of notice that they're on their cadence and they're kind of in their storytelling mode, whatever signifies that people just shut up and listen. Well, I agree with that. What do you intend to do? How are you going to polish this a little better? How are you going to work on that? I don't really know the answer. I started researching a little bit, just like what makes a good storyteller. And that's a fairly nebulous question that people, they can give you some kind of general facts, but they're not necessarily great ones. Uh, A lot of them are trim out unnecessary details, which I definitely am am poor at. I I tend to kind of jump to the side and add details that probably aren't necessary to the story. Um, That's definitely one that they recommend taking care of. Um, Conciseness without losing, without losing details that are necessary to the story is another. I, I don't know. There wasn't really a whole lot. There wasn't like a smoking gun or a great book or a great article that I read. And I was like, oh yeah, that's what I can work on. Aside from those, maybe those two items, but not nothing really definitive out there on how to work your storytelling. Not really. So I guess what I kind of came down to is as part of the podcast, I guess I want to try to teach myself to slow down in that dead space, dead air silence, I guess, if you will, is okay. I think a lot of times I'll try and rush my thought out. Maybe because I used to feel like as a kid, I wouldn't get it out. I would get interrupted or people would start doing other things before I'd finished what I was trying to say. So I, I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to feel my way through it. It was something that I I sat and thought about for quite a while last night. And like I said, I did a little bit of research into it, but I don't know. It's just something that I want to try and figure out and figure, see if I can figure out what the keys to it are. And I guess crack that nut a little bit. Well, I'd love to know what you find out. I should do some research on it too and see what else is out there. But I have had the same thought and would also have admired those people that can be that captivating. And I have done some reading on charisma. I can say that there's a good book, The Charisma Myth. And it, what it talks to is it's a little bit like you were saying, it dispels this, I, the myth that Charisma is something either we have or we don't have. And so it talks about the different types of charisma and how you can develop that, that, uh, which can lead to other things, which, you know, if you put together, if you figure out other elements of storytelling and you can apply different techniques with charisma around it, then you're well on your way. And I think of storytelling in my example as my grandpa sitting around a campfire and just telling bullshit jokes that are pretty lengthy or, you know, stories from his childhood or whatever it may be. But it can also apply to business and to marketing and to whatever your story is around your business. In fact, we're kind of doing that at work. We're trying to shape what the story of our business is or what our tech story is, I guess they keep referring to it as. But it needs to be captivating because ultimately the business, the the companies that are coming in to potentially acquire us are going to be reading that material. And the same thing applies. They need to be captivated and interested and excited by the products and and services and things that we've built. Well, that's a good example right there. So when you're trying to captivate that audience, I know that some of the feedback that came back initially was, well, this was just way too tech heavy. And I think that's the rut that we can get into sometimes is that we know the material very well, but we're not relaying it in a way that the audience can understand or be interested in. I think that's fair. That's a, yeah, I think that can apply both ways too. kind of to the same point that I made earlier with 
maybe too many details in the story that aren't applicable or, or really don't matter, but maybe in your mind they, they're there and you just kind of continue to spew them out each time you tell the story. I guess you can clean those things up a little bit and, and hone the story over time. Right, yeah. It has to be concise to the point, exciting. It is a marketing effort. It's really marketing. It's a pitch. And so if it's just the facts or I keep coming back to facts, it's not only just that, but I think it has to be geared towards the audience as well. And I notice you do it already, even on editing the show. I notice you'll definitely pause for pretty considerable amounts of time sometimes, even to the point maybe where sometimes it's slightly uncomfortable, which sounds odd and sounds like a negative thing, but really, I don't think in this case it really is. I think it it portrays something. I think there's a quality there. I think there's, you know, you, you know that you're thinking about something or trying to put a, a polished thought together before you just kind of zip it out there and, and say something that's, you know, say a whole bunch of words like, uh, or, and, or if, you know, whatever, and putting a, putting a good thought out there. That still takes time for me. That's why I think there's additional delay because I am stopping myself from spewing out those things that I'll get mad at and say, fuck on the show. (laughs) You say fuck all the time. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, I don't mind saying fuck, but usually I'll say, oh yeah, yeah. You know, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I've had a slow way down. I think it's good. And I need to learn to do the same thing as well and, and enunciate and be a little slower with my delivery. And I don't know. I don't really have a particular end to this particular topic. I think it was just more of a bullet point that I thought was interesting. I thought we could talk about it a little bit. And I think I think it applies to everybody, not just me. I agree. I on that note, actually I'm gonna change it up a little bit. The this has been a a fun a fun revelation doing this show. So I was in town last week. I went out with some people on Thursday, did some karaoke. Why not? What else are you going to do in Seattle on a Thursday night besides some karaoke? And yeah, I was out with a few tech guys, a few guys that listen to the show and they don't work with us. They're just other friends that I know in the biz, in the industry. And we we got to talking about the show and about how we came to start it up, which was really just a personal experiment, right? For us to get more comfortable hearing our voice and putting out content and that, all that kind of stuff. That's right. And, uh, one of the, one of the guys that I was talking to, he's, he's in dev, he's a DevOps guy. Awesome dude. I've known him for a while. Really smart guy. And it surprised me, but I, not as much. I'll tell you what he's, what he told me was that a, he, Love that we were doing it and, and enjoyed listening to the show. He thought it was cool that we were doing it and B, that he wanted to do something similar. I think he wanted to get into blogging, not podcasting, but he felt that it was, it was the, he had a hard time getting started because for him, he had a belief that the content needed to be unique or that what he had to say wasn't important or relevant or wouldn't reach an audience. And I, I thought it was interesting because that's so much of what he said resonated with me in the beginning of why I didn't want to do the podcast is thinking that, well, we don't have anything unique to say. We're just regurgitating somebody else's news or stories and just putting our opinions in there. And so it is relatable. It's interesting just how talking to other people that they've had similar thoughts, but then held back because they thought that, well, it, maybe it's not interesting enough or people wouldn't be interested, want to listen to it. So I, I, I love that topic. I love when that topic comes up because I'm hearing it a lot more now from people because we're doing it. And I think there's, in my, at least in my book, and I think in your book, because I think you've mentioned this before, there's kind of a tendency to shy away from talking about things that maybe aren't the cutting edge, kind of with the thought in mind that, oh, this has already been done. People have already talked about it. People already passed it. It's old news. There's already a ton of data about it, ton of re- articles about it, et cetera, et cetera, yes. et cetera. Yes. But the the fact is, is that there's other people coming up behind you who don't have experience with these things. And yes, those articles do exist, but it's there's. I think there's kind of a how would you describe maybe like a growing up together kind of mentality 
So, you know, I, I feel like when I came into the web industry, there was a whole slew of people that I followed and they were the top of mind leaders. And, and I've kind of grown with that set of people. I haven't necessarily brought in a whole lot of new sources of, uh, you're not looking, you're not looking very broadly for information out there, sort new sourcing. You've, you kind of have your staple places that you go and people that you follow and you don't really go outside that border a whole lot is what it sounds like. There you go. Exactly. That's a great way to describe it. And so I think there's new people coming up all the time and they're going to grab and latch on to other content that's being created and find these other people that are creating interesting or uh, great articles. And they're going to latch onto that and grow up with those folks, you know, that are more their age or in their, their uh, skill set or, you know, that sort of thing. So I think it makes a lot of sense to continue to publish, even if you don't feel like it's brand new or if it's top of mind or cutting edge. Well, that's right. I agree with that a hundred percent. And we've found that to be the case with us doing this podcast too. There's a lot of what I find mentally blocking is these view, these very extreme viewpoints. Well, my con, if I don't have unique content, then I'm going to have none at all. If it's not cutting edge, then I don't want to talk about it. A very extreme view also too. Well, it's not going to be interesting to anybody. Nobody's going to want to listen to it. You know, it's interesting the language that's in at play there because those are very, it's very extreme. And what we have found through our experience just in a few handful of episodes, so we're not after everybody. We're not trying to be the end all source that we're not starting out that way. We're really starting out just as a personal project. We want to talk about things that we find interesting and some people like that and some people don't. And it's okay. We make this show very open. It's open-ended, and although it's tech-related, we don't always talk about tech topics, and I think that makes it far more flexible, far more easy to continue doing. This show, for instance, is a great example of that, that the opening here, we did a thing on storytelling, which has nothing to, well, I mean, it can be applicable to tech, but it's not directly related to tech. It's more of a personality building or a, a you know, a personal issue, so I think, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is maybe the blog doesn't have to be specific to DevOps or it doesn't have to be specific to IT. It can have some other elements in there that make it more personal, make it more relatable to to more people and, and more folks and give you a voice that makes you interesting and unique and something that people want to follow. 100% agree on that. Yeah, I, I when we were talking about it, I said, look, I would love to hear what you're doing, what you're working on, what you're struggling with. And the whole process, I think that's what makes it valuable is just coming from a, a, a real point of view. You don't have to come in at this point of being an, ex, an expert in all things, but just sharing experiences of, oh boy, this was really difficult for me to write and here's why. And this is a project that I'm working on and this is something that I had to overcome. I think people relate with the vulnerability there more than they are relating with somebody who's coming off as the foremost expert. The, I think that kind of lends to your project that you were doing, the warts and all thing. I think that is appealing in a way because you're, yeah, exactly to your point. You're, you're being vulnerable with people and that's a very, very human thing that most people don't want to let you in on. So yeah, more people have that experience than they do of being experts. So I think that's why you can grab and attract more of an audience because they're probably looking at ways to break open to. And, and, and break out and not be, and we're not perfect. So it's a good place to meet people. Agreed. Well, let's move on, shall we? Let's uh, head on to one quick show note that we have on the show today. And that is, uh, we've talked a little bit about it and I think we're going to back off slightly and do one show a week as opposed to two. Aww. Oh, we could put a little sound effect in there of like a crowd going, oh, we do that. That'd be cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hang on. I'll see what I can do. I just got a pop up on my screen from Mr. Leahy. Oh, what's Pat up to? Pat uh, just sent me a text. It's in all caps and it says, Joseph Bully. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So Bully, you're coming out. Not just to your family, but to uh, your fellow former coworkers as well. So everybody's getting to know you a little better today. I'll have to leave this on here. Uh, give Pat a little shout out. What's up, Pat? 
maybe Pat wants to be on the show. He's doing some pretty cool shit right now at the Allen Institute. He told me a story about that. I don't know if I can tell it well, but I'll throw it out there. He was telling me a story about, yeah, this is cool. I thought it was interesting. I don't know how many companies do this, but they don't have typical seating like you and I would have. So all the tech guys are in one room or all the DevOps guys are together. The programmers are together. Not the case at the Allen Institute. Uh, there they have people scattered throughout the whole organization. So he's in an area where that is not connected to him really at all. It's not even really a team. It's like a random shakeup of people. So they're kind of going with, we, we almost tried this a little bit, almost like an embedded idea, although they're not even embedded with oh. a team that relates to No, they're to not them. embedded. He could be next to the marketing person, next to the salesperson, next to the scientist. They're all over the place. And then they have common space. And then do they just do everything digitally? Yeah, they do a lot of things digitally. They also have, sounds like they have plenty of common spaces and, and whiteboarding rooms that they can get together. And so if they need to meet up as a team, they can do that. But they aren't positioned uh, together that way. That's interesting. I'd be curious to know how he likes that and how he's getting along with that sort of. Yeah, setup. I'd like to get him, get him on and talk about it a little bit more. Maybe I know in the beginning it was a little disorienting for him just because it was hard to find people where they're supposed to be. He didn't know anybody and he didn't know where they were. So it was sure. a little more challenging, but maybe now he has a different take on it. Very cool. Well, yeah, hit him up and uh, see if he is. In, We're hitting him up right now. It. He's only going to be able to come on if he's listening. So if he doesn't hear this, then he's going to lose his opportunity to come on the show. Ooh, that's <laughs> a short notice. Pat, when you listen to episode 11, you got to let us know that you when you can come on and and give us uh give us a little airtime. All right, back to business. We're uh going to going to drop back to one show a week. Two is quite a bit of content. People were falling behind, I heard. Uh, it was a lot of editing work on my part. So I think doing one a week uh, makes a lot more sense. And I think that's what Mike and I have agreed upon. Is that right? I agree with that. I would love to find more time to do too, but it just hasn't happened right now. There's a lot going on and especially with travel and work and projects and all those types of things. I find it difficult just to show up for 90 minutes twice a week, and then you have to edit that shit. So <laughs> that's a lot more work and time. Yeah. And we were shooting originally for like 30 to 45 minutes, and most of the shows are going more like an hour, which that's fine. I'm not, I'm not concerned about that per se, but um, we were putting two, two hours of content out there as opposed to an hour, which we had originally planned on doing. So instead, we're just going to do basically an hour, one, one time a week. And there you go. There you go. That's. A lot of people I talked to were still on early episodes, so I think that cadence is probably fine. I don't think people have time to listen to two hours worth of coffee and podcast. <laughs> Would you want to listen to us for two hours? It's painful. I've tried to do it. It's not easy. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to today's topic. What are we talking about today, KJ? Well, I was interested or just kind of wanted to wrap with you about vehicle autonomy. I have a Tesla Model 3 on order. When's that bitch arriving? Have you figured it out yet? <laughs> oh, who the hell knows? I think uh, it depends on your options at this point. So if I was to take all the expensive options, I could potentially have it like this month. Wow. But because I don't need the super battery and I don't know, all the super trim and best wheels and all that business, then I probably won't get mine till like September. Okay. I think is the time frame. So later this year. Yeah. So there's been a lot of talk about Tesla cars and, and this car even can, for instance, pull itself out of your garage and you can summon it and kind of do all these autonomous ish things that are kind of precursors to full autonomy. And I've, had a number of conversations with some people this week um, regarding this article that I have linked here that I'll put in the show notes. It's from, who is it from? It's from hackernoon.com, which I've actually seen a number of articles from lately all of a sudden um, that really fascinated me. And it kind of got into the idea of autonomy becoming more than cars, like 
Cars is looking at it in, at, in a very short-sighted way. And so what they start to describe is, let's, let's use you as an example. So if you're traveling to San Francisco, or sorry, you're traveling from San Francisco to Seattle, instead of when you land in Seattle, maybe you hail what they call a room. And since it's not, a, it's not really a car anymore, it's basically an electronic chassis that has a box on the top of it that can do many, many functions. It could be an office. It could be a, a room to sleep in. It could be a kitchen. It could be, you know, anything you want it to be. So this thing, you just get in it and you, just like Alexa, you say, hey, you know, whatever vehicle, I want to go to Quote Wizard Office. Boom, away it goes. Because it knows autonomously how to get there. It knows how to get on every road and deal with other autonomous vehicles that are on the road. And it takes you there. So you can just be free to do whatever it is you want to do. You don't even have to worry about the vehicle anymore. And it goes on and on and on from there. And I just found this idea quite fascinating because I had always just kind of thought of the driverless cars aspect of it. And once you got into this, because it even goes a step further from that. So like now you're done with work and you hail another one of these things and say, hey, I want to go let's say, what would be a good example here in, in Seattle? I want to go to Vancouver, BC tomorrow. So you get in your little room and you say, hey, I want to go to Vancouver, BC. And this thing just starts driving and you now are in a bedroom and you can sleep. And when you wake up in the morning, bam, you're in Vancouver, BC. Hell yeah, that sounds awesome. Another example they give is like, all right, so middle of the night, you got to wake up and you got to take a piss. So you yell at Alexa and you say, hey, I need a bathroom. Well, now here comes like almost like a train. Here comes an autonomous bathroom, links up to your car that you're in. You use it, it disconnects, leaves, and away you go, right? Like the possibilities become pretty insane when you start to think about this. And then they even kind of go on to, once you get to Vancouver, BC, you can now park your room in these like high-rise structures. So effectively, it grabs your your vehicle and puts it in like a stacked tower, and then now it's now it's like a hotel, right? And then you can ask for additional rooms to be stacked next to you so that you can utilize those. So you say, "Oh, I want an office and I need a, a kitchen and, you know, I need a billiards room and a pool or whatever the hell it is you want." And it just like slots these items next to you so that you can utilize them. Makes a lot of sense. I already see some of that coming up even at CES last week, you know, they had the driverless Pizza Hut. <laughs> yeah, and- exactly. They had these, it was a similar idea. They had these platforms that could drive around and bring it to you. And that was kind of the first step. It's not as advanced as some of this, but it makes natural sense. It would progress this way where you could even say, Oh, I want to go get something from the gap and the gap comes to you at your house or something like that. That's an interesting concept, but with autonomy and driverless, why not? Exactly. And then they even kind of start talking about it being, a negotiator. So in the example that I was giving where these these rooms are stacked into this tower and you think about that as a hotel, well, you're going to need some kind of a rental fee, right? So let's say in Vancouver, BC, it's, uh, you know, 30 bucks a night for you to, to, for you to be slotted in that, that tower. Well, your vehicle is autonomous and smart, so it can negotiate and figure out where there's a cheaper tower, right? So Maybe if this is 30, it finds one outside of town that's 10 and it can go move itself and slot itself over there instead, right? So it talks about how, just how much, how little money will be required in in that sort of a scenario. Like an Uber ride, for instance, that they say now would cost $10, would cost like 30 cents. Because it's electric, which is dirt cheap. It's not a, it's not a gasoline fueled thing. You don't have a person driving it anymore. Yep. They're talking about the the simplicity of the electric vehicle too. There's the the sheer reduction in parts, and it's it's much more basic and atomic than a vehicle ever had been before. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I started talking with a number of coworkers at, at the office, and I was like, you know, the first thing that I could easily see coming down the pipe before any of this that we're talking about now is just a autonomous. Like, let's say they take the um, HOV lanes and make them autonomous only lanes. And suddenly now you have a lane that in theory could go a hell of a lot faster with all kinds of autonomous cars that are aware of each other and can continue at the same exact speed as each other 
without bouncing into anybody or anything. And suddenly that lane can haul ass, whereas the rest of normal traffic can stay off to the side and be stuck because they're driving shitty gas guzzling cars. Well, that'd be a nicer alternative to the current HOV where, well, the toll lanes, they toll those based on demand. So you can pay a lot of money for those. You can pay $14 on the 405 for a segment just getting up to, up to Bellevue. Can you imagine that? Like not having to do that because it's, because it's autonomous and it's efficient. And if you had that set up, then you could do it for free. Right. And think about how many, how much more throughput that lane would have. Cause like I mentioned, you can have it, it could be much, much, much faster because I mean, without the, with the exception of turns, like obviously turns, you can only go at a certain speed, but on straightaways, I mean, the, whatever, whatever is the limit. Because the cars are going to continue to maintain a specific distance from each other. They're not going to make any rash moves unless a, a regular non-autonomous vehicle makes some weird move that causes a problem. But beyond that, they're just going to all travel as a pack in a group together at a very high rate of speed and, and much more throughput than you could have manual drivers. Yeah, and and the communication time, it's really low latency. So now within a matter of microseconds, maybe. Yep, the vehicles are already communicating to each other what's happening and what they need to do to react to conditions on the road or what's coming up. And it almost becomes like <laughs> the best example I can think of right now off the top of my head is like little baby elephants that are, you know, the one guy has the trunks or the tail of the next one in front of it and the one in front of that and the one in front of that and so forth. And so these cars are just kind of staying at a exact even distance from each other and just all traveling, looking like they're almost connected. Um, but yeah, you'd get amazing throughput on that. I think that would be a huge, I think that would be a huge win and something that people would really be, people would really jump on the autonomous train if they had that ability and they would see something like that working. I agree. It's something that once people have the experience of it, I think we'll be more open to it. Right now, a lot of the conversation is more fear, fear based is what I hear about having driverless cars on the road. So I think it's going to take a little time to prove itself out. People can see and experience driving in one or riding in one. And I think it'll become over time, it'll become the preferable route. Like you said, you're going to need to have incentives like taking the HOV lane all driverless. Well, if you can get there in half the time, then people will get over their fears pretty quickly because we just want to get there, right? Yep. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I tell people this a lot. I'm like, I hear this all the time. Oh, I don't want, I like driving. I want to drive. And well, you know, sometimes I like driving too. Like it's enjoyable every once in a while. But I think once people are able to just sit down in a, in a room or a vehicle, whatever it is, and just sit there and look at their phone, read the paper, do a crossword, do whatever the hell they want to do. I think they're going to change their tune pretty quick and realize that, oh, I can, dick around for 20 minutes and be at my destination instead of having to turn this wheel and push these pedals. I, I think that'll change. People will change their mind really quick, really rapidly. Well, absolutely. I, I enjoy driving sometimes as well, but then more and more I get frustrated at the experience because I'm stuck in traffic. I, and, and a lot of times I just need to be somewhere. I got to get to the airport. I got to get to the meeting, whatever it is. And there's a way to multitask that I would take it. For me, the driving piece is something that I would like to do in my free time. Like, oh, I have an afternoon. I'm going to go cruise or go if I'm in a more rural place where there isn't traffic, then sure, that would be fine. I don't mind driving down the coast because it's scenic, but I wouldn't mind doing it as a passenger either. If I had like this, the picture of this thing that you're showing me here is really a, a box of glass on wheels. That would be pretty damn awesome just to be it on the couch, watching out the window. It's amazing. Yeah. And to give you another example, in your in your neighbor in San Francisco where people commute crazy distances, you know, they're commuting an hour and a half, two hours each way. I mean Yeah. What what if you could hop in one of these rooms that's an office and bam, you're working. During your two hour commute, that is work time, not lost time. Could be time when you're actually focused on something instead of being distracted or interrupted. Well, that's what I mean. It could be even like actual on the clock time, like all of a sudden four hours of your day recovered because now your commute is paid time as opposed to just time and traffic. I mean, that's another huge incentive. So 
Agreed. Well, it'll be interesting to see how these converge because there's also other technology in there, like the Hyperloop, which is gaining momentum. So it's a similar deal, but well, you could still have the same scenario. It could be a two-hour commute, but this time you're going coast to coast. Right. The other thing that I thought fascinating about this was just the concept of money, uh, as I mentioned earlier, because they start to get into the, you know, everybody's biggest complaint with autonomy is that we're automating our way out of jobs, which is extraordinarily true. But what also this article starts to mention is just because of the lower cost of everything, like the sheer reduction in cost, you wouldn't need near the, the amount of money that we make in today's society. So even though jobs are lost, there may not, it may not be that dangerous because the sheer reduction in prices of every, of goods and services would, would potentially help offset a lot of that. It's such a gain in efficiency that everything comes down. Prices come down. Right. Hmm. I don't know. I'll, I'll link to the article. It's a, it's a fascinating read. Um, it, it really opened my eyes to, you know, obviously this is well down the road, but what is possible even beyond autonomous cars and that even autonomous cars is just kind of a, a short-sighted idea, I guess. This is, this is tangentially related, but that image that you have in this article, it shows that cool looking work on wheels thing. That's right down the street from my place. I've been to Serpentine. (laughs) Oh, is it really? There's a restaurant Serpentine in the background. That's right down on third street in dog patch. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Actually, it's a really good place. Nice. There you go. So I could, I didn't see that work on wheels thing when I was down there last time. So that'd be kind of fun to run into that. Yeah, and then the image below that you see is just like the drivetrain for these things, right? It's just a very simple platform that you can put like any kind of container on top of. So you just swap them out, right? And then, oh, and one other kind of quick note about this uh, regarding cost is they start to talk about um, cost of the actual drivetrain itself. So whoever owns the drivetrain obviously has debt against it. And so the drivetrain itself um, as it takes trips and that sort of thing and helps, you know, maybe it's rented out to people, whatever the scenario may be, it's it eventually pays for itself. And because it's autonomous and again, because it's smart, it can start to lower its prices that it charges to do various things, If you, uh, assuming you're renting it out or letting other people use it um, so that it's kind of really just paying for maintenance at that point. So um, these things just become an insanely smart and, and pretty cost effective pretty quickly. Wicked times, buddy. This is some crazy shit. <laughs> I like it. It is. All right, going from the real high tech to the real low tech. Oh yeah. Today oh, no. I discovered peakdesign.com, which as oh. a photographer, personally I'm a photographer, well, amateur photographer. Uh I've had a few paying gigs, but I'm still amateur. I found these guys uh today and I don't know how the fuck I didn't know about them to begin with because they make some really fucking cool products. What is this shit I'm looking right now? Looks like a looks like a f- wings. Looks like some wings come flying out of these backpacks. Is it a flying pack? <laughs> so yeah, so Peak Designs uh, makes a whole lot of gear for photographers primarily. Is their audience? Um, this particular product is the Everyday Backpack, which actually has been around. I think since about 2016, the, um, the reason I bring it up on this show is I was looking at some of the products released at CES, and although this was not released at CES, one of the guys that was writing a review actually bought one of these just prior to going, and he <laughs> mentioned that this was his favorite product that he had around CES. Um, so basically, the product itself is a backpack. Um they do have a couple different models. They have the backpack, they have a tote, and they have what they call a sling. Um, this particular model, the backpack, though, has two side compartments, which you're referring to as wings. Yes. Um, yep. And so those give you access to kind of the main body compartment of the backpack itself. And then inside there, there's um, removable uh, segmenters, I guess maybe you would call them. So for photographers, you can take and make multiple different places to put your camera body or your lenses or even other particular items. Like there was a review I was watching today and he even put his drone in there at some point. Um, And these 
little dividers are highly configurable. So if you look through the images, there's one where it's a very large lens laying on its side. There's one where it's kind of divided and there's a lens and a camera. And you can move that little divider in different directions as you want. You can also even drop the divider on the side so that it's like a vertical chamber, if that makes sense. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it better without. I don't know if they have a photo of it, do they? I don't see that. Uh, they do actually. If you there's a photo where it's just the dividers, it shows the dividers and cameras, and you see the one where the lens is vertical. Oh, interesting. Uh, that's so you can actually make it like it's a um, a vertical chamber as opposed to a horizontal chamber. Oh, there it is. I had to click on more. I didn't see it down there. Yeah, they call it pass through, I guess. So it's highly configurable, which is really, really cool, and it, and it fits a ton of gear for, for photographers. And this is something that I've been wanting for quite a long time, is something that can house my camera, but maybe also my laptop, which in this case, it can house up to a 15-inch laptop and can house a tablet as well in another case, uh, another compartment that is accessible through the top. I, uh, that is sweet, man. I... No, this is cool. I'm still looking at some of these other photos here. Sorry. So a couple of the other features that are really pretty amazing on this is, um, number one, the, the actual latch fixture that, that closes the top lid is actually a magnetic hook. So when you look at the pictures of it, there's one, two, three, four, I think, of the latch, latch points. So it'll actually allow the bag to compress vertically up or down. Uh, depending upon how much gear you have in the bag, which is really, really slick. And then, it, and then it has a magnetic latch that apparently is pretty tough from what people were saying. All the zippers um, have kind of uh, finger loops, I guess, or whatever you call those finger pulls. Um, but those can also be um, latched into the bag. There's a, a mechanism that they can be secured effectively for security so that somebody can't just unzip it from behind you and rip out all your gear or something like that. So those can be secured. Uh, it has a hidden waist strap. So you unzip a little pouch and out comes this waist strap. And if, if you would need like a hip belt or something like that, that's hidden away. But you, you, So you don't have to use it, but it's there if you need it. Um, same thing with the, um, I don't know what they call it, but the chest strap that kind of goes between the shoulder straps. That can be configured to either go across and, and keep them together, or you can just rehook it on one of the straps so that you don't have to have it be used at all, but it kind of hides itself away and is pretty handy. This is, this is great. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing bag. Um, all, the, all the points where the straps connect to the bag, so like it, um, the shoulder straps, any points that they connect to the actual backpack, they're on like these circular hinges so that they can flex and move pretty easily rather than it being sewn in. So I think that's a pretty, pretty cool feature that I don't think I've ever seen in a backpack. No. Oh, one of the other cool things is so if you, if you think of having the backpack like on your back as a normal um, everyday wearing, and then like, let's say you unhook one shoulder and then kind of sling it around your body so that it's sitting in front of you, but it's still on one shoulder. Yes. They, they engineered it intentionally so that it could do that. And then once you've got it in that kind of position, so it's almost uh, horizontal across your, your front, you now have like this access perfectly to the, to the zipper. So they even show it in some of the photos where he's got it unzipped and now he has access to all the contents that are in those slots that you've kind of pre-divided in the main body compartment. Oh, yeah, there it is. It just opens like a lid, flips up. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I found this today and I was really, really pumped by this because, oh, and then another cool thing is in the, in the back. So, um, in, it has, a, you know, a brace piece on the back so that it kind of keeps it off of your back so it doesn't get super sweaty, but that also doubles as a piece that you can put the backpack through like your luggage handle, which is a little bit hard to describe via audio. But for traveling purposes, like if you have a rolly luggage, you can like slide the backpack down onto the handle and that way it can't move or, fall off or whatever. And it's kind of, kind of helpful for, yeah for traveling purposes, but yeah, super amazing backpack. It's a little pricey, um, you know, definitely in the vein of, uh, premium products. Um, I think it begins at like 260, I want to say. Yeah. 259.95. Yep. For the smaller version. And then I think it's an additional 30 for the 30 liter version. But yeah, these guys make some really, really killer products. Their reviews are pretty much all amazing. Like, I don't think they hardly have any one or two stars at all. 
These guys look like they must be in the Bay Area. I, I saw a clipper card in one of the side pockets over there. <laughs> I think you're right. I think they are. Maybe we should uh, pimp them, and maybe I can get myself a demo to review on the show. Hey, that'd be sweet, man. Let's uh, give them – well, you already mentioned their website. That's that's worth a couple backpacks right there, I think. That's right. That's peakdesign.com. If you're a photographer, check them out. Uh, the reason that the, they actually came to my attention is this weekend I actually hiked with uh, our, my, our good friend Tarifkin, uh, that'd be Aaron Rifkin, up to the top of Mailbox Peak here in uh, Washington State. And when we got to the top, there was a guy that had a backpack on, and he had this clip that was attached to the front of one of the, stra- the shoulder straps. And on the clip was hanging his DSLR camera. So if you go up to products and you go down to clips, on this website and click on capture. There we go. New. Yep. Here we go. Yeah. So what it is, is it's basically a mounts to your tripod mount on your camera, and then you can mount the other piece to any kind of strap you want. doesn't have to be a backpack, could be anything. And then if it effectively lets you slot your camera into the, whatever it is that you've mounted the bracket onto. And in his case, it was on his backpack. And I was like, oh man, that's awesome. I definitely need to get one of those. Yeah. I see it right now. It's kind of a little holster on your shoulder strap, and then you can just get up and go. Yep. And a lot of people use it on their belt, or, yeah, they show it on, on some people's backpacks, or you could use it in a variety of ways. But I could definitely see myself using that a lot for hiking and backpacking and even traveling. When we travel, it'd be nice to just have that thing hooked up somewhere like that and not have to have a strap all the time. That looks amazing. Yeah, I can't wait for you to get your hands on it. What color are you going to get? Ooh, I don't know. Options. Probably... I thought they had one that was kind of a reddish color, but maybe that's the older one. I don't know. Hard to say. I'm sorry. I'm just a little caught up in this thing right now. <laughs> I got pretty caught up in their products today, and actually uh, Wayland, our coworker who's big into photography, got looking into this as well, and he's very, very interested in that backpack and, and a number of these products as well. Like I said, I was kind of amazed that I don't know about this brand already, being that I do a lot of photography. I kind of am annoyed that I don't, but... I'm glad that I found them now. Wow. Yeah, this is really good stuff. Well thought out. You can tell that they put a lot of practice into it, too. It wasn't just some concept, but the photos are really nice. Yep. I'm not even a photography guy, but I think it looks great. (laughs) So I already told Christina that uh, there may be a backpack purchase here in my near future. Well, it's the low, low price. Just get one more wedding, and you can probably justify (laughs) that. right there There, yeah there you go they go for these days but so yeah premium products cool shit i'm really excited about them i probably will actually end up getting the camera strap as well their camera straps are really cool because they kind of um so if you go back into their products again and go to the slide all right Um, there it is on the right okay and then you'll have to blow up uh one of the images where it kind of shows how it connects so it kind of connects via a strap and then this little kind of disc interface. Oh, I see it there. Little eyelet that slides in. Yep. So you can kind of take off and put back on the, the strap really, really easily. And you can even kind of double the, like a tripod mount, even with that strap still attached, which is kind of nice because I, I can't do that now. Mine, mine actually completely covers the tripod mount hole. So I can only do one or the other, whereas this can kind of have both at the same time, which is pretty cool. So yeah, I might be ordering a lot of products from these guys. Wow. Yeah, these are slick. I'm all about premium products. This could become the premium products code cast. <laughs> it's kind of going that way, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know why we keep code in it. There's not, not a lot of code in it. It could be the coffee and premium products cast. Coffee and expensive shit cast. Yeah. Yeah, coffee. Coffee can be expensive shit. Speaking of coffee, did you try, have you tried out the new blonde? I know Starbucks is kind of, you know, you can argue how premium Starbucks is or isn't, but they have a new blonde espresso. Yeah, I have not had a chance to try that yet. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? I liked it. I liked it a lot. I had the blonde Americano a couple times already. And for me, it was just a little softer, a little lighter. A little less bitter, I would imagine. It was. Yeah, it was smooth. It was easy. Is there a price difference between the typical espresso roast and the blonde? I did not see a difference there. I think they're both the same. I think like the, the Grande Americano is around 2.95 with tax 
And I believe it was the same price for either one. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to give it a shot. I was in there a couple days ago and almost decided to pull the trigger, but I don't know. I thought for some reason it was quite a bit more expensive and I was like, eh, maybe not, but maybe I'll give it a shot. Some of their other stuff might be. I stick the Americano. It's a little more on the, the lower end of the price point there. Although we do have some other, we have some great roasters up here. I, Phil's Coffee is huge up in San Francisco here. And I, I, man, it's amazing stuff. Well, you'll have to bring back a little bag of beans to the Seattle area so that we can test it out. I'll bring them back. That's a bag worth bringing. I, I did bring some back for, uh, my, my housemate last time. I usually, I usually bring some back every time I come back, stay in there, but, um, the ones I brought last time were fucking awesome. They were the Philharmonic Soul. It was a hazelnut and chocolate. Ooh, that sounds real good. Damn, it was good. Ugh, crushed it. I think I had coffee <laughs> in the, every morning and every night when oh, I was there. I think I would be too. Cool, man. Where are we at on this fucking thing here? We're at an hour already. Wow. Talking a lot of shit today. It's a good episode, though. I think it's I think it's been good. I've, I've, I've been interesting topics, and I think uh, think people will like it. I'm interested. I didn't hear about any of this stuff. This is, I got to give you credit. You put most of this together today and I'm having fun looking at these links here. I'm not doing a lot of talking because I'm buried in the photos over here. <laughs> so yeah, next up on the docket is, I don't even know how the hell you pronounce these guys. Lish tot. I don't know, but uh, they came out with a product at CES called the test drop, uh, which is a electronic device that is able to, Basically tell you if water is safe to drink. How the fuck does that work? So the way that it's supposed to work in theory is that it puts out an electric field or or rather it detects electric fields that are coming from from water or from contaminants in the water. And it's able to decipher the differences between the electric fields. Wow, that's impressive. This thing looks like a little key fob. Yeah, that's right. And he just kind of runs it alongside the glass and is able to quickly detect with like a red light or a green light, whether it's drinkable or not drinkable. And it's supposed to work. I think the way that they described it uh, is they did a demo and they poured contaminants in one of the glasses, for instance, and used this to test it. And sure enough, it was able to pick it up with no problem. So to the visual eye, it seems to work, uh, whether or not it's foolproof or how foolproof it actually is, is still up for debate, but, Regardless, that's a pretty amazing thing if if it indeed does what it what it says it does. Wow, fifty bucks, thirty five dollars at the CES discount. Oh, this is sweet. It comes with an app, reports itself to an app, so you can get history on uh, all your scans. We should go take this out. We should take a little trip up to Detroit and test some water and see what comes up on the app over here, man. <laughs> Just blows it up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> Son of a bitch. So yeah, not a ton to talk about here. I think uh in the in the terms of like the importance of this product, I think this has a potentially huge impact worldwide because obviously not everybody has access to good drinking water, you know, whether it be Detroit or whether it be uh third world countries or or people in crisis zones or whatever the, the scenario may be, this could be used in so many different ways. So I think it's a pretty awesome product. I hope they can deliver on their promise. And I think uh, even for me as a hiker, who sometimes I can't carry in all the water that I need, actually a lot of times I can't, this would be a a handy little tool where I could make sure that my water isn't contaminated with some horrible stuff. Yeah. If you're out out with your camera backpack out in the wilderness and you need to grab some, refill the water bottle, refill the old Nalgene out there. That's right. And you left your smart straw at home, then you can just give us a quick scan. Forgot about the smart straw. Well, this will tell you if the smart straw needs to filter anything out. That's right. Exactly. Give it a test before you do that. Cool product. Hey, and that ties really well into the next product because the next product is all about a a hopper or for most of you, a toilet. The loo. And, you know, if you drink drink some bad water, maybe you're going to be spending a lot of time on said hopper. Well, or yeah, or you could just dump the shit down down there instead. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> at CES uh among all the smart things that they are unveiling one was a smart toilet. So uh 
what the hell can you do with a smart toilet? Well, let me tell you. You can uh, you get uh, a nice uh, heated footrest, so you know your feet aren't cold while you're sitting on the on the hopper. So that's that's a bonus. This is crazy. I mean, this is a ridiculous. I saw this shit, dude. This is this thing costs like seven thousand bucks, doesn't it? I saw pricing on this somewhere. I don't think I saw any pricing on it. Yeah, it's it's fucking stupid expensive. It's the Numi Intelligent Toilet. Comes with a sensor that knows you're approaching and automatically offers up a foot warmer. Yeah. It warms up the seat for you. Gives you some ambient lighting because, you know, you got to be in the mood to poop. (laughs) I mean, this is the epitome of, like, just because you can. Do it because you can and it's because for CES. Yep. Oh, it also plays music. So, you know, it'll it'll get things moving for you. It looks cool. I would never spend... I wouldn't spend more than what I would pay for a normal toilet, to be honest with you, man. This is crazy. I just thought it was more entertaining than anything. It's, yeah, to your point, it's like the most ridiculous product I think I read about from CES. So Wow. Yeah. it's it's CES is a lot of fun, but it also brings up a lot of this kind of stuff where it's just a nonsensical kind of shit, you know? Liter- I, I like Kohler. I like their stuff. They have some really cool things. I mean, the, this is... What I see here is just, it's like a car that has all the electronics. You're just going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars maintaining it. Like the, the hydraulic arm on the toilet lifts back when you show up. And yeah, it's very, uh, very ridiculous. There'll be somebody that does that though. I mean, there's certainly somebody that there's a market for it. Wow. You know, somebody will want it. Crazy dude. I don't know. I like your backpack the best. I think it takes the, 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 the water one is cool. It's good. It actually has a practical application, and I like products that come out of CES that have more of a practical use. Yeah, and to be fair, the backpack did not come out of CES. Oh, okay. That was a that's a two year old product at this point, or a year and a half. But it's holding up well. Obviously, I mean, it's still well, yeah. still very applicable. I'm excited for you to get it, dude. We're gonna have to swap some product uh, next time we get together, or whenever you get yours, because I've got my new laptop now, and bring that out. My backpack will be about a pound and a half lighter now that I don't have that old doorstop sitting in there anymore. Yeah, I'm excited to see this thing and see what uh, yeah. the dimensions and see what it feels like and that sort of thing. And I'm interested in seeing a Hackintosh. I always hear about them, but I've never seen one running. It was very easy. I've done that before when they first came out on the Intel platform, and it was a lot more work. This was very straightforward. I think within 30 minutes, I had the damn thing running. So wow. It was very easy to do. Very good. Well, do we want to do some teasers for next week, or do we have any idea what the hell we're going to be talking about? I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about. I kind of slacked on this one. I was traveling and then got caught up with the new laptop. I think I need to – I don't have anything that I know about that I want to talk about right now. We're going to keep it open, I think. All right. Well – It will be a mystery meet. Mystery meet. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to make something up, man. It'll be, a, it'll be a mystery. It'll be a, you know, it'll be, we'll keep you in suspense until next time. Well, that's a tease all by itself. Yeah, exactly. It could be anything. Could be products. Could be storytelling. Could be code, actually. Wouldn't that be a shock if we actually talked about some code? We we're going to talk about. <laughs> don't get crazy now. We were going to talk about IDEs in our, in our developer toolbox roundup. We could. Go back to that. Hey, there you go. Let's get back to the, yeah, let's get back to the roundup. Yeah. Next week we'll do the roundup. I, uh, did you, uh, did you change your Twitter handle? I did actually. Yes. Well, then we should throw that out there. So obviously you can follow the coffee Codecast at coffee Codecast on Twitter. Mike has now changed his Twitter to at chipper SF. Yes. I am at Kyle P. Johnson on Twitter. And hey, use hashtag Ask3C if you have anything you want us to talk about. Or use hashtag HowIDev if you want to follow up with the HowIDev segment we did with uh, Mr. Joseph Boley. That's right. Your environment, your favorite beverages, playlists, hardware, and more. Yeah. As always, you can co- uh, contact us at coffeecodecast at gmail.com via the correctly working website www.coffeecodecast.com and of course subscribe and rate us and you know let us know you're out there on all the uh the publishing platforms we have itunes stitcher soundcloud google play tune in 
All the stuff. Everywhere. We're everywhere. Everywhere. Even in shithole countries. Shithole. So, I guess we can just say uh, that's a wrap for episode number 11. And uh, today, we're not going to have a post-show. So, if you want to listen to our uh, kick-ass theme music, feel free to hang around. Otherwise, we'll uh, catch you on episode 12. Thank you.